You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. In the name of Allah, the Most Gracious, Ever Merciful. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all, dear listener. Um, so it is the when it is Wednesday, Wednesday the fifteenth of November, two thousand and twenty-three. We are nearing to the end of this year. You know, this year has flown by hmm. uh, by the grace of Allah the Almighty. Uh, but uh, you know there are many many different things happening around the world, which uh, you know we we do pray for that you know the situation of the world does get better. We are joined here in the Voice of Islam studio by myself, Muhammad Atari, your usual Wednesday presenter, mm. and brother Shajil Ahmed. Assalamualaikum, peace be upon you. How are you doing this morning, brother? Assalamualaikum, Allah, peace be upon uh, you and of course our our listener as well. Um, yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing great. Uh, what about you? How are you doing this this morning? Yes, uh, by the grace of Allah the Almighty, you know it's a, it's a good morning. It's always a pleasure to present here on the Voice of Islam. You know the the weather can't keep us down, and uh, you know uh, it's it's always you know it's so, it's so great to to present here and you know to present the view of Islam. Absolutely. And that you know Islam you know ties in with everything. It's it's a living religion. Absolutely. It's a way of life. Hmm. Absolutely, right. absolutely. I mean, obviously, when it comes to the different topics that we're going to be talking about, that would just re-emphasize the point that you just made as well. That Islam, uh, Islam's teachings—it's not—it's not just a religion. It's, it is actually a way of life as well. Mm. The way that we go about our daily routines, the way we go about our lives, the way we deal with other people as well, um, our, our our leaders, our subordinates—the whole scope. I mean, whatever in whatever aspect we we look at, we find. Uh, guidance in in regards to how we how we need to live our lives. So it mm. is, it, 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 like you mentioned, it, it is a living religion. Yeah. And the two topics that we're going to be talking about um, in 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 today's show. Firstly, we're going to be talking about UN leaders. We talk we'll talk about again the 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 war which is happening in in Gaza and uh, in between Gaza and Israel. But UN leaders unite to appeal for humanitarian ceasefire mm. in Gaza amid the escalating. Israeli uh, strikes as well. So continuing that topic on, because obviously it is ongoing and we want to talk about it as well. We want to talk about how we can, you know, promote promote mm. humanitarian uh, humanitarian life. And yeah. a ceasefire is something which is needed urgently right now. Um, so that's something that we're going to be talking about, a very big, big topic that mm. we're going to be talking about. And obviously a few guests that we spoke to earlier on and we're going to play those uh, those clips for you guys um, you know, during the course of the show as well, and secondly, towards the latter part of the show, we're going to be talking. As you mentioned, the yeah. weather, the weather can't the weather. keep us down. Yeah. So, um, I mean, ways to combat hmm. winter sadness as well, hmm. uh, winter blues. Uh, some people may may want to call it like that as well. But obviously, you know, with these topics, um, whether they light lighthearted or a bit heavy, hmm. whatever whatever aspect that we go through, there is some sort of element of Islam that we can actually. Of uh, course, push towards of that. Uh, push towards that as well, and link that with the teachings of Islam. So mm. that's that's basically what we, the main purpose of uh, of of our shows anyway, yeah. is to give our our listeners a more of a flavor that whatever topic that you talk about, there is something to do with Islam in regards to that because it is a living religion. Of course, it's a way of life, uh, and we will we will discuss that throughout 
and uh, during the course of the show as well. Hmm. So uh, we'll be taking a very uh, short break, and then you know, as always, uh, you know, um, we will be getting into the news, and we will be discussing the weather, hmm, of and then uh, we will be getting into our first segment of the morning. Uh, as mentioned earlier, you know, we will be discussing the uh, Israel and Palestine conflict. So don't go anywhere, uh, and do join us after a very short break. Selections from the writings of the promised Messiah upon whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya movement in Islam. The world cannot accept me because I do not belong to this world. But those who are gifted with a measure of otherworldliness are the ones who accept and will accept me. The one who rejects me rejects him who has sent me. And the one who is grafted to me is grafted to him who I represent. I bear a torch which will illumine all those who come close to me. But the one who entertains suspicion and doubt and runs away will be subjected to darkness. I am the impregnable fortress for this age. Whoever enters my fold will be protected from thieves, robbers and the beasts of the wilderness. I call to witness God Almighty who holds my life in his hand that compared to every other soul he has gifted me with overwhelmingly greater ability and access to the understanding and the deeper wisdom of the Holy Qur'an. If any of the Malvis, traditional Muslim scholars, who opposed me in response to my repeated invitations, had attempted to outshine me in the exposition of the Holy Qur'an, God would have most certainly frustrated his attempts and exposed his ignorance. Hence, the understanding of the Qur'an which has been granted me is a sign of Allah the Glorious. And I have full trust in Allah's grace that soon the world will begin to see that I am true in this claim. I am not alone. That noble Lord is with me. No one could be closer to me than him. It is only by his grace that I have been granted a loving soul, ever willing to serve his cause in the face of suffering, so that I should render with zeal and sincerity outstanding services in the cause of the faith and carry out to victory great expeditions for Islam. He has commissioned me to accomplish all this and none can make me desist from pursuing this cause. The promised Messiah, peace be on him, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Islam, states, If you wish that God should be pleased with you in heaven, unite and be one like two brothers of the same mother. Nobler is he among you who forgives the sins of his brother more than others, and doomed is he who is stubborn and does not forgive. He has nothing in common with me. Live in fear, lest you be cursed by God. He is holy, and he is a jealous guardian over the honor of his beloved ones. The wicked cannot attain his nearness, the arrogant cannot gain his nearness, nor can the tyrant nor the one who breaks a trust. Nor can he who is not ready to lay down everything for the honor of his name, nor those who fall to the pleasures of the world like dogs and ants and vultures, and who are comfortable with the luxuries of the world. Each unchaste eye is remote from him. Each impure heart knows him not. Those who remain in agony for his cause will be delivered from the fire of hell. He who weeps for him will laugh at last, and he who breaks away from the world for his sake will meet him. Be Allah's friends, 
with all your heart, in all sincerity, gaining his nearness with ever-growing zeal. Be kind to your subordinates, to your wives, and to your less fortunate brothers, so that you may be shown kindness in heaven. Become truly his, so that he may belong to you. of Islam Radio. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim in the name of Allah the most gracious ever merciful welcome back to the breakfast show uh, so dear listener we will be discussing the news and the weather now as always before we get into our first segment of the morning hmm. uh, some of the headlines so the guardian reads is that the Israel Hamas war uh, Israeli military says it's carrying out operation inside Gaza's Al Shifa hospital uh, the IDF says it, it is carrying out a precise and targeted operation inside Gaza's largest hospital as Palestinian officials report seeing soldiers, tanks and bulldozers inside the complex. Hmm. Uh, you, we just have to, you know, we just have to look at the scale of things. Uh, I mean, even if there are, uh, even if they are, you know, um, Hamas militants hiding within hmm. the hospital, there are still innocent civilians there as well. Of course. And you have to yeah. give priority to the human life. Of course there are. Um, recently I was just listening to um, one of the live shows on LBC with James O'Brien and uh, one of the callers called in uh, and James O'Brien asked him that, uh, you know, given the situation, if, you know, there were Hamas militants in Israel, mm. right? Would Israel... Well, the other way around. Yes, yeah, would, Israel, would Israel um, commit the same... Uh, form of uh, attacks, you know, attacks or, or yeah. whatever is happening yeah, 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 yeah. right now in Palestine within Israel. Within Israel, yeah. And if there were Israeli li- uh, Israeli civilian Israeli lives in play, yeah. would they do the same thing? Yeah. And you know uh, the person the calling in, you know he he played around a little bit. He he was talking here and there, and then eventually he said no because there would be Israeli lives there. Hmm. I mean, so, I mean, essentially, I mean, that's what essentially is, there's a, there's a double standard at there play a, here. There is a double standard. You know, we, we as Muslims, you know, we completely the teachings of Islam's are completely, you know, straight to the point that you know if you take one life, you're taking all of humanity. Mm-hmm. 
if you save one life you're yeah. saving humanity exactly so you know what uh, hamas did uh, the attack they did completely you know it was against the teachings of islam against the teachings of humanity mm. completely condemn it but the retaliation is on such a bigger scale and so many human lives are being lost that you know something something needs to be done about it absolutely, absolutely. and there there needs to be a, a ceasefire in play as we will be discussing you know later on in one um in in the topic that we will be speaking on later i mean they're just talking about just talking about the the israel gaza war hmm. as well as uh, you know talking about the you know the, the hospitals as well yeah. how there are strikes there are attacks within the hospital and there's literally an article on on the bbc which says that giving birth with no painkillers under the bombs in gaza hmm. so you can just imagine the you know the trauma um that the, that that the women are going through the pregnant women that they're going through giving birth is a, is a difficult process as mm. any wo- woman would know anyway but giving birth without any painkillers that's a whole different story isn't it that's completely a different story and for them to actually be going through such atrocities that's uh you know you can you can just imagine that they you know no one deserves this yeah. you don't you don't deserve yeah. this just like just like you mentioned when you know when it was on the other uh, radio channel as well they they you know they they couldn't they couldn't say anything they couldn't say anything if it was the opposite yeah you know if if it wasn't you know the same thing was happening in in Israel hmm. then they wouldn't do the same thing because oh those lives do matter but the lives of palestinians or of uh, you know the people who are living in gaza hmm. they apparently don't matter yeah. so it's like you mentioned it is a double standard and th- these are some things which which needs to be they need to be stopped and the the reason why this happens is that when these countries these so-called superpowers right these uh, western countries they think even if they're not in the west they might be in the middle east but these countries they have this veto power mm-hmm. and they say that we are the champions of democracy oh we are the champions of democracy and democracy this democracy that but when it comes to actually listening to the people Hmm. um it's not it's not about that and when there's a particular rule or a bill in place yeah. for example the UN the UN passes a bill there's humanitarian rights um there's war crimes as well if a country if a nation has the right to veto those bills then where you you know you're putting your democracy down the drain hmm. you know how how are you how are you saying that you know we we're the people's uh party yeah but not even listening to the people not even listening to what the majority says hmm. and if you're not you know if there's a vote and uh, you know might be a unanimous vote yeah, apart from i mean what won't be unanimous then but if the majority says one thing and then you say no 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 we uh, we have the power to veto this bill then you know what's what's your democracy doing over there and how are you how are you going to be held accountable as well no no one can hold you accountable if you do a war crime Yeah. right if yeah. you do a war crime or you know war crimes hmm. and uh you know you, you have a free hand you can do whatever you want then you're basically you know you're you're the king of the world then essentially yeah. isn't it well yeah. you know who who can stop you so there is this double standard 100% the double standard is 100% in place and uh, it's only when true justice uh, is actually there then that is only when the world will actually 
you know be be, be living be, be a better place of course i mean obviously if these if these world powers um are held accountable just like smaller nations are held accountable you know hmm. you know one small country is that in africa does uh you know does a war crime or something or uh goes against you know so-called humanitarian rights which are you know which are declared by the un hmm. if they do something wrong then they get sanctions upon sanctions upon sanctions but these countries are allowed to commit not f- not one or two but more than 20 30 war crimes hmm. and no sh- no sanctions yeah. no one is even ready or you know no proper nation hmm. is ready to condemn them as well they might be hmm. here and there hmm. a few nations but what can the small nations do as obviously if the big nations don't do anything but one thing which has become quite promising as well yeah. is that the the president of France no, uh, Emmanuel, he, Emmanuel, Macron. Emmanuel Macron yeah yeah he's <laughs> I mean, he's, he, he's he's calling for a ceasefire He's going for ceasefire. You yeah. know the 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 views that the French people have, especially the French government towards like um, you know in the past we have seen in, yeah, in the we've news seen it, yeah. uh, in, in 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 regards to yeah. Islam. You know the the hijab ban and all of yeah. that that went on over there. It's, so you wouldn't, you wouldn't technically expect yeah. from from someone like that saying something like that. But you know you have to realize mm. that even they see that this is a humanitarian crisis, yeah. and many uh, innocent lives are being lost. Whereas, if you listen to the, uh, there was a recent interview with Justin Trudeau, the Canadian um, yeah. president, um, yeah. um, prime minister, prime minister, prime minister, um, that <clears throat> he was saying. So he he wouldn't say the word ceasefire. Hmm. Uh, he w- it was like a live interview, so he kept on saying, "We need to stop and we need to be ceasing doing everything and ceasing this." Yeah. So you know, it's it's yeah. it's it's a bit of um, a bit of a weird one, bit of a funny one that's going on. But um, you know, there there there's a is. there's a famous quote uh, that goes uh, saying, "The world will not be destroyed by those who do evil, but those who watch them without doing anything." Hmm. I mean, you know, that that just reminds me of a saying of the Holy Prophet yeah. of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that he said that if you see something bad which is happening, right, hmm. then you should try your best to stop that with your hands. With your hands. You know, if someone's uh, yes. you know, doing something wrong, you, then you just stop that person with your hands physically so that that person stops what he's doing, mm. he or she is doing. But if you can't do that, then at least... Um, tell them, tell them, tell them you know, to stop, t- tell with, them you, to stop with your voice. with your yeah. voice. And yeah. properly, you know, uh, you know, use the, uh, a dialogue to, mm. to tell that person to stop. If, if, you know, if you still can't do that, that at least think about that that person is doing wrong and he's pray in, for in your heart yeah in your heart and he's pray for that person and that is well. a, the weakest that's, that's uh, the weakest part of uh, faith basically that's the weakest part of faith as well yeah but still i mean these three things should be uh, should be in place and obviously the the world powers hmm. um you know so cr- credit does go where where it's deserved as also so the the, the um emmanuel macron i mean it's it, it, with all the things aside, you know, the hmm. past things, which yeah. are the bills that he's passed in his country as well. But still, it, it, he has condemned the ceasefire, which is yeah. a good thing. And uh, I think other big nations... He has uh, condemned what's going on, not the ceasefire. He wants the ceasefire what's to, going. He wants to happen, ceasefire. Yes. He wants the ceasefire. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? The politicians, <clears> they're very, you know, they know how to use their words yeah. um, to, to win the people's uh, votes as well. Hmm. So, you know, it, it is what it is. But obviously... When nations, big nations, and the leaders of nations as well, they call out if something is wrong. They say that this is mm. wrong. 
don't beat behind the bush mm. you know and that is that is that is what we want we want justice i mean obviously if this was happening in uh, uh, you know in russia ukraine the situation would be different and mm. and it was different mm. and it has been different the way that i mean the media you know, has portrayed the, if that. you look at the scale of the ukrainian and uh, russian war yeah it's uh, much larger right mm. there's two huge nations fighting it out right but here there's been more lost of life than there has been over there mm. in That's in the in, the, yeah. in the matter of weeks yes, literally literally right like that, more I than mean, 11000 people are dead a lot of them being children a lot of them being children yeah are, are they uh, a part of hamas as well yeah literally literally one good thing yeah. which, uh, which, uh, which which has happened is that the peaceful protests which are happening in different of countries course, yes and uh, it's happening in london as well you know it's been happening it's happened recently basis. yeah this this saturday as well yeah. there was more than like 300,000 uh, attendees yeah and uh, um, yeah. It was like like I said it was a peaceful peaceful march as always yeah, isn't it yeah. and it's something which uh, you know it, like I said it's it's been happening for for a couple of uh, for a number of weeks mm. now and uh, it's it, it's good because it, it puts the you know puts the people into you know it, it tells the people that we are with those people who are oppressed of course the yeah. Palestinians they are being oppressed um you know obviously on both sides there will be there will be some innocent people who are who are losing their lives who are mm. getting injured who are mm. getting uh, getting in the middle of the of the of the fires but obviously where you know where, where these protests are happening peaceful protests are happening yeah it tells the government also that you know where we stand or what we want we mm. obviously want a ceasefire we don't want this war to continue even more because obviously if it does escalate yeah. you know if, if there's no ceasefire if it does escalate um then who knows only god knows how, you know how much how much trouble those people are going to be in and uh, how much destruction is going to is going to cause as well so obviously we do want we do want a ceasefire we call for that um you know from the top of our voices and that is something which uh, you know like like we've been reiterating throughout the show that we want obviously the 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 the, the government to to look into this as well and call out um wrong where where people are being wronged hmm. isn't it don't have don't be don't be double sided uh in terms of you know um saying one you know very quickly calling out russia for doing whatever they did um and not calling out other countries or other states such as israel if they're doing something wrong as well you know so What's that's that we, you know that's, that's what we want we want justice In other news, you know, uh, the Swella uh, Braverman thing that's happening in, yeah. in, in, yeah. in the news right now that she's basically written a long scathing letter yeah, according yeah. to the BBC News. Uh, Swella Braverman accuses Rishi Sunak of betrayal in scathing letter. I, I won't go into too much uh, details of what's, what's going on over there, but um, hmm. what's happening in the government is what we are basically seeing is disarray. There's no, disarray, there's yeah. no unity. Uh, within the government and uh, individuals are going out of their own way doing their own thing essentially which is um coming coming back onto the the gover- the governance essentially hmm. so the country you know the leaders of the country need to come together put their heads together think of a solution govern the country on the right path hmm. and uh, hopefully uh, you know we can get through this and um okay 
get through what is happening right now in our country. Yeah, there's there's going Absolutely. to be a Rwanda ruling um, as well. Uh, you know, could reopen because of um, the su- Supreme Court has ru- might rule yeah. whether the plan of the asylum seekers is lawful or not, whether it's safe. Mm. So that's that's in play right now as well. As well as uh, David Cameron has been brought back into yeah. Yeah. the <clears throat> brought back in as a as as a minister, the foreign minister of the country, and uh, many people do have views in regards to that as well. Whether you know he is fit for the job, because he's been on a seven year hiatus. It's been seven years yeah. since he was in. He was in power. He, he was, was a prime, prime minister, minister. Yeah. For, uh, seven years ago. Yeah. I mean, we've had quite a number of different prime ministers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the funny thing is, is that <laughs> all the prime ministers after David Cameron, mm. no, we didn't vote for them. They were, they, none of them were elected. No, none of them were yeah. elected. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's a bit of a... But you know, some people are one. saying, you know, he will be good for the country. Like, you know, people... Who who know what to do are basically being brought back, and he he resigned essentially because he didn't want uh, thingy to go through. Yeah, but he was Brexit. pressured to do it because of his uh, because of his party. But uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's a bit of a yeah. it's a bit of a sticky one. It's a bit of a controversial a one. A bit of a controversial uh, one. Uh, <clears throat> in in some other news as well, um, inflation falls to. Uh, falls to 4.6% as the government meets uh, targets early. Hmm. It's interesting because the BBC reports that it's the it's the lowest rate since November 2021. Uh, the fall is mainly down to, to lower energy prices. But gas prices were down by 31% in October compared to last year earlier, while electricity was down uh, 15.6%. So it has gone... Um, significantly down as well. The government has pledged to half inflation this year. Remember, hmm. <laughs> Rishi yeah. Sunak, he said yeah. he's going to half inflation this year um, from 10.7% at the end of 2022. Um, so Rishi Sunak says that, the Prime Minister says that, it's, it's, it's welcome news, but repeats the long-term target to get inflation down to two. Um, let's see. Let's see how that actually plans out. But core inflation, which strips our energy, also fell from 6.1% to 5.7%. Um, so, you know, let's see. We've got about a month and a half. Yeah. <laughs> let's see if inflation actually goes down to 2%. Hmm. Um, practic- quite, you know, practically, I don't know, maybe it might. we might get close. I don't know if we can get 2%, uh, you know, 2%, get down to 2%. But uh, obviously, you know, it would be good if we if we do get close to that figure as well. Hmm. Uh, obviously, energy prices, uh, energy bills were so high, uh, especially last year hmm. in the beginning of uh, of this year as well. So uh, obviously, that's why that's why the pledge was there to actually ha- to actually get it by two, uh, by you know by, by by halving it. So let's see if it actually if it actually happens. So, dear listener, we'll be taking a break uh, shortly and then we will be getting into our first segment of the morning and discussing the um, the Israel-Palestine uh, conflict further. But, uh, before we actually go through, go to the, go to a small break as well, let's um, uh, just want to, uh, you know, say what the, what the news uh, is saying about the, about the weather. So the BBC reports that today, Northern England and Southern Scotland will see light and patchy rain. Largely dry elsewhere, but uh, with uh, some sunny spells and uh, areas of cloud to the southwest. Breezy in the south and west. But tonight, southern Scotland and northern England will turn dry with 
clear spells developing and southern areas will start clear, but clouds soon move uh, in with rain moving towards the southwestern areas overnight. And tomorrow, the south and west will see outbreaks of rain. So these uh, these uh, these will be heavy in some places. Elsewhere, it will become gradually cloudy as the day progresses with a few showers uh, in some places as well. And of course, the, the outlook for um, from Friday until the weekend as well. So showers will be in the north, in the far north on Friday, dry and bright elsewhere. But heavy rain moves into Northern Ireland and the southwest in the in the evening also. Now rain tappers to blustery showers on uh, on Saturdays so will be quite quite wet on Saturday as well. The showers will be most uh, frequent in the northwest and could be heavy and thunder thundery in some spots as well. But it'll be windy with showers or heavier spells of rain for for many on Sunday, staying drier to the south and east as well. So obviously, if you're, if you're living in the north, um, you know you, you need an umbrella all yeah. the time now. Yeah, time. Definitely. So that's what the weather uh, forecast is for uh, for until the weekend today until the weekend, um, and like you like we said, we're going to be taking a very short break. Right after that, we'll get into our first segment. Obviously, it is an interactive show. The number to call in, as always, is zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. You can also tweet us uh, on X uh, on Voice of Islam UK or on our Instagram at Voice of Islam UK as well. Writings of the Promised Messiah. Salat, prayer, and istighfar, seeking forgiveness, are excellent remedies for apathy and indifference. One should supplicate in Salat, O Allah, alienate me from my sins. If a person continues to pray sincerely, it is certain that his prayer would be answered sometime. It is not good to be in a hurry. A farmer does not harvest the crop immediately after sowing. One who is impatient is unfortunate. The sign of a pious one is that he is not impatient. Lack of patience has resulted in many a known case of failure. If a person digs a well to the depth of 20 arms length and stops short of just one due to his impatience, he would waste his entire labor were he to dig the remaining arm length with patience, he would achieve his purpose. It is the way of God Almighty that he bestows the blessings of love, eagerness, and understanding after sufferings. Writings of the Promised Messiah Remember that no one will descend from heaven. All our opponents who are alive today will die, and no one will see Jesus, son of Mary, descending from heaven. Then their next generation will pass away, and no one of them will see this spectacle. Then the generation next after that will pass away without seeing the Son of Mary descending from heaven. Then God will make them anxious that though the time of the supremacy of the cross had passed away, and the world had undergone great changes, yet the Son of Mary had not descended from heaven. Then wise people will suddenly discard this belief. The third century after today will not yet have come to a close when those who hold this belief, whether Muslims or Christians, will lose all hope and will give up this belief in disgust. There will then be only one religion that will prevail in the world and only one leader. I have come only to sow the seed which has been sown by my hand. 
Now it will sprout and grow and flourish, and no one can arrest its growth. The sublime one, the one who is both majestic and exalted, and has a lofty status, and there will remain only the person of thy Lord, Master of glory and honor. Writings of the Promised Messiah, Salam. Salat, prayer, and istighfar, seeking forgiveness, are excellent remedies for apathy and indifference. One should supplicate in Salat, O Allah, alienate me from my sins. If a person continues to pray sincerely, it is certain that his prayer would be answered sometime. It is not good to be in a hurry. A farmer does not harvest the crop immediately after sowing. One who is impatient is unfortunate. The sign of a pious one is that he is not impatient. Lack of patience has resulted in many a known case of failure. If a person digs a well to the depth of 20 arms length and stops short of just one due to his impatience, he would waste his entire labor. Were he to dig the remaining arm length with patience, he would achieve his purpose. It is the way of God Almighty that he bestows the blessings of love, eagerness, and understanding after sufferings. Selections from the writings of the Promised Messiah upon whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya movement in Islam. The world cannot accept me because I do not belong to this world. But those who are gifted with a measure of otherworldliness are the ones who accept and will accept me. The one who rejects me rejects him who has sent me. And the one who is grafted to me is grafted to him who I represent. I bear a torch which will illumine all those who come close to me. But the one who entertains suspicion and doubt and runs away will be subjected to darkness. I am the impregnable fortress for this age. Whoever enters my fold will be protected from thieves, robbers and the beasts of the wilderness. I call to witness God Almighty who holds my life in his hand that compared to every other soul he has gifted me with overwhelmingly greater ability and access to the understanding and the deeper wisdom of the Holy Qur'an. If any of the Malvis, traditional Muslim scholars, who oppose me in response to my repeated invitations, had attempted to outshine me in the exposition of the Holy Qur'an, God would have most certainly frustrated his attempts and exposed his ignorance. Hence, the understanding of the Qur'an which has been granted me is a sign of Allah the Glorious, and I have full trust in Allah's grace that soon the world will begin to see that I am true in this claim. I am not alone, that noble Lord is with me. No one could be closer to me than him. It is only by his grace that I have been granted a loving soul, ever willing to serve his cause in the face of suffering, so that I should render with zeal and sincerity outstanding services in the cause of the faith and carry out to victory great expeditions for Islam. He has commissioned me to accomplish all this, and none can make me desist from pursuing this cause. 
of Islam Radio. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. In the name of Allah, the Most Gracious, Ever Merciful. We are getting into our first segment of the morning. Uh, in a united call on 6th November, prominent UN leaders in Geneva urgently sought a humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza as Israeli strikes persisted for nearly a month. Hmm. Notable signatories including Volker Turk, the UN High Com- Commissioner for ha- Human Rights, Tedros Adhanom, uh, head of the World Health Organization, and Martin Griffiths, UN aid chief, jointly condemned the unbearable suffering in besieged Gaza. The population faced relentless attacks, loss of essential resources, and bombings of their homes, shelters, hospitals, and places of worship. This plea resonates with the recent statement made by Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmed, the head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Worldwide Community, may Allah be his helper, who cautioned that without courageous, without a uh, courageous ceasefire, world leaders could lead the world to destruction. Mm. Now, obviously, you know the importance of a humanitarian ceasefire. In uh, in conflict zones is very very much important. Yeah. And the heads of several major United Na- United Nations bodies on Monday made a united call for humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza mm. as Israel strikes intensifies. Uh, nearly one month, you know, just like you mentioned after yeah. after the conflict as well. Now the thing is, is that this is um, something which is which is urgently needed. Mm. And you mentioned um, you mentioned Martin Griffiths uh, Griffiths, right? Yes. On Friday, he called for humanitarian pause in Israel's bombardment of the densely populated Palestinian uh, enclave to help aid deliveries which are far below pre-conflict levels. Hmm. Remember, His Holiness, the, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, um, the fifth caliph of the Promised Messiah, Hazrat hmm. Mirza Masroor Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, on last week's Friday sermon, he also mentioned that they are doing a pause, a ceasefire mm. for, for yeah. a little bit, for about four yeah. hours, three, yeah. four hours. 
um, just to just to you know make sure that there's the aid is available mm. uh, to to those people in Gaza. Yeah, but obviously, you know, uh, who knows what's going to happen sh- mm. straight after that? Yeah, and who knows what happened after that? Um, uh, you know, logically speaking as well. But obviously, not everything gets put gets put on the media. Of course, a lot of things, which even if they do get posted mm. on this on social media platforms, it gets taken down as mm. well. Mm. And so so. They have their own agenda, yeah. isn't it? Palestinians, uh, Palestinian envoy to the United Nations, Riyad Mansour, responded that Griffiths should call for a full ceasefire. Hmm. Obviously, that that is something that we that we want to yeah. see as well. <coughs> now, Israel has rebuffed um, mounting international pressure for a ceasefire, saying the hostages taken by Hamas militants uh, during the rampage in southern Israel on on, on October the seventh. Should be should be released. Hmm. Now there are different things, uh, you know, which we which we want to get into as well. Uh, but th- there are some, there's a, you know, there's a, there's one or two audio clips. There's a few audio clips that we want to uh, play for you guys uh, as well, in regards to you know the conflict, the war which is happening, and the protests which are you know which are happening as well. So let's listen to uh, one of them right now. A message to the world. A message to our brothers and sisters in Gaza. And if you have anything for the politicians here, what would you say to them? As a mother, as a as a as a woman, why does that affect us so much? I mean, we spoke about this, right? Yes. Why is this so close to your heart? Uh, it's one. One scene I saw in the television was a child was crying, the house collapsed, and he's crying for his mom and dad, and he lost his mom and dad, and they were, he was about under five, and then later on, I saw his sister, she's about three, and he's holding her hand, and then I find the third brother, who was about three, and then they just come and holding each other, crying, and I think that is, I saw me. I know. We all feel this. We all feel this. <laughs> Sorry. I just saw that it's my children. And um, any politician or any human being saw that sin. If he's not been affected by it, then there is no humanity. Because how you like your children to be on that? environment all the time is not one month it has been enough it's been a long time and it's enough is enough because they have been suffering quite a lot and now it starts affecting us now it's for every day going to work and things affect us eating affect us and we feel like hopeless and um, we only things can do is like stand up here and just get that number for the politician to feel our fear, how we feel, you know, is to, to understand we're actually getting really in pain and hurting by it. So we are responsible for to ease the misery for us and for these children who are actually losing their mom and see that each other into pieces in the floor. And if I saw my daughter like that, my son, it's, it's hard. If you could send a message to anyone in Gaza, what would that be? What would you tell them? I just 
I just ask God just to bring some some peace for these families and we're always with them. Although we are not there, we are here, but we wish if we be there, they are on our hearts and uh, is, I feel like I'm guilty, like I'm done something for them to do, have that life, but I've done nothing, but I feel like, like we all contribute, you know, this, they are not unlucky, they live in that life, but it has to stop, we are with them, you know. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry, just cried. Sorry. You didn't want to. That's how you want so, you know, as we can see, many people are very distraught as to what is happening, the conflict. And, you know, it's, very, it's a very emotional time for them as well. Mm. We do have uh, an interview with one of our professors that we have, you know, already uh, conducted. So we will be listening to that one now. Good morning. Peace be upon you and uh, welcome to the Breakfast Show, Professor. We have online with us Professor John Quigley, who is a professor at the Moritz College of Law, the Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio, USA, and he's the author of books on Palestine, including The Case for Palestine and International Law Perspective. Good morning, peace be upon you, and welcome to The Breakfast Show, Professor. Thank you very much. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, just to begin with, could you please tell us why are humanitarian ceasefires crucial in conflict zones and what are the main goals of implementing them? Well, the, the, the purpose is to provide sustenance to a population that is under siege uh, and where the population is in great need for lack of the basics of life, uh, water, food, fuel. Um, uh, and it is something that uh, in the international community, it is accepted that uh, uh, efforts should be made to, to do that. Uh, one of the more recent instances of that was in the town of Mariupol in uh, last year when it was under siege by the Russian Federation uh, Army. Uh, and the International Committee of the Red Cross uh, made efforts to uh, establish humanitarian corridors uh, so that some could get out and so that humanitarian aid could get in. In that situation, it did not work out. There, there's no good way of ensuring that a humanitarian uh, corridor will actually be achieved. You know, it depends on what the, the, uh, the army that is conducting the siege is willing to do. Um, uh, pressure can be put on that army. Uh, the army does not look good in terms of public opinion if it is mm -hmm. starving people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, how do international organizations such as the UN coordinate efforts to advocate for humanitarian ceasefires? Well, they do that by uh, being in touch with both parties uh, to see what the needs are and to uh, contact the, the army that is conducting 
the uh, siege. Um, but as I say, that's a very difficult. Uh, and now the Israeli government has said it will not issue visas to anyone from the United Nations uh, to come to Israel. Uh, so that is an, an obstacle as well. Mm. Mm. So, uh, Professor, could you um, share any examples of how, in the past, humanitarian ceasefires have basically been successful or made made a difference in previous conflicts? Well, ceasefires are more significant. That means that the parties will uh, will stop using force against uh, each other. Um, uh, those two depend on the parties and what they're willing to do. Probably the most famous ceasefires uh, in recent history um, uh, have been those in the First World War. Uh, in 1914, the German army and the French army uh, agreed on a ceasefire at Christmas, at the time of Christmas of 1914. And there are famous uh, scenes of the French soldiers and the German soldiers playing football with each other uh, mm. during the ceasefire. Um, yeah. And then they went back to, to killing each other uh, uh, shortly thereafter. But mm. these temporary ceasefires are, are not very significant. What is required in the Gaza situation is, is a permanent ceasefire. Mm. Definitely. And in your view, how effective would you say are joint calls by international organizations in influencing the parties involved in the conflicts to agree to the, to the ceasefire? Well, the, the General Assembly of the United Nations has, has made that it is necessary to do something uh, to uh, alleviate the suffering of the people uh, in, in Gaza. Um, really army and, and government to date uh, are very hostile to the United Nations. They've threatened uh, uh, the, the organization, essentially, uh, and, and said that they're not going to cooperate. So right now, it's a very difficult situation. Yeah, definitely. And uh, just before we let go, Professor, in your professional, in your professional opinion, um, why why were there certain countries you know who who did not call for a ceasefire or certain countries who did not uh, you know say anything at all uh, i think in part they are beholden to the united states which is taking a very strong position against the ceasefire um and and they view themselves as allies of the united states for germany there's the additional reason that that uh, Germany, Germany is reluctant to do anything uh, negative towards Israel because of the, the history of, of the Nazi regime. Um, mm. But I, I do find it quite uh, uh, strange that, that one does not find more countries uh, calling for a ceasefire. Yeah, definitely. You know, we, um, you know, being Muslims and the teachings of Islam, the Islam is such that uh, it says in the Holy Quran as well that taking one life is as if you have killed the whole of mankind, or saving one life is as if you have saved the whole of mankind. 
So, you know, we completely condemn how <clears throat> how this all started with the attack of Hamas. You know, we completely condemn that. But, you know, the the... Um, the basically what is happening now in, in Gaza due to that, you know, the the scale of the proportion of it is completely out of scale. So that's, uh, you know, the teachings of Islam is to, you know, to just protect human life. Yes, and I think international law is consistent with, with that uh, view of the matter. I mean, right yeah. now, as of today, you have babies that are dying in incubators because exactly. there is no fuel. Yes. You have women who need a cesarean section to deliver a baby, and they have no way to do that. Mm, definitely. So, Professor, uh, you know, just before we let you go, could, could you leave us with uh, leave some sort of advice for the for the governments of the world and what what steps they should be taking right now to make the world a better place? Well, in the specific circumstance, I think what the governments need to do. Uh, is to pressure Israel to withdraw completely from Gaza. Israel took the Gaza Strip by an act of aggression in 1967. So it has been under an obligation in international law ever since 1967 uh, to depart. Uh, And most of the population in Gaza consists of people that were forcibly expelled Uh, by Israel from their home areas in Palestine uh, in 1948. And those Mm. people have a right to return to their home areas. So you you have multiple violations uh, of international law uh, by Israel that need to be addressed. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Professor. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. For now, take care, have a good morning, and peace be upon you. Thank you. So that was Professor John Quigley from the University of uh, Ohio State discussing um, the Israel-Palestine conflict that is ongoing. So, dear listener, we will be taking a very short news break, and then please do not go anywhere and do join us after a very short break. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. So, how do you think that we can achieve peace with this situation? End the Israeli occupation of Palestine. Like, simple. It's not, it's not their land. You cannot just go into someone's house and take it, based on stories written in a book. That's utterly deplorable what's going on. There has to be a political situation that enables peace and resolution for this because decades, 75 years under occupation, 75 years of like slow, horrible murder, genocide and culminating now in this is absolutely inexcusable. And the people in the global north and the global south are now finding out about how deep the corruption goes and how Israel has been created uh, as a puppet state for the US and the UK to control the oil and gas trade through the Middle East because the US and the UK are terrified of the Middle East. And it's, oh, it makes me sick to my core. It makes me ashamed. Thank God that I'm not actually English. Yes, I was born here, but I don't have English blood. And I am... I don't know. I don't know what more I can personally do than put my feet on the streets and be in support of these people who are suffering. 
and I really, really, I hope and I pray every single day that something can be done, that the power of us being on the streets, of lobbying our governments, of emailing MPs every day saying, why are you allowing this to continue, that it is having some effect, I have to believe that. And uh, what's a message for the people in Gaza? I'm really sorry. I'm really, really sorry that it's taken this long for the world to notice what you're going through. And we're here and we see you and we are trying, we are trying to get our governments to notice and to pay attention to what the people want, which is for you to be safe and free in your homeland. Thank you so much. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful, peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to The Breakfast Show. We were discussing earlier that the UN leaders unite to appeal for humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza amid escalating Israeli strikes. And we, you know, we listened to one of the interviews that we conducted with uh, Professor John Quigley, who had uh, very uh, various thoughts that he had um, to share in regards to what is going on and in regards to whether um, ceasefires are successful and... Uh, you know, he he told us that instead of a a ceasefire, you yeah. know, the war essentially it needs to be come to a complete halt. Come to yeah, and completely be stopped. Stop. Yeah, literally. Right. Yes. Because of the atrocities that are being committed right now, we do have another interview with another professor um, that we conducted earlier. We will be now listening to that interview. So let's listen to that one. So we have with us, and we are privileged to talk to William Shabazz, who is a professor of international law at Middlesex University in London, also emeritus professor at Leiden University and the University of Galway. Thank you so much for joining us and speaking to us today. Yes, thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much. Just before we actually go into talk about uh, the use of force, because I want to talk about that as well, for the benefit of our of our listeners, could you... Please provide an overview why inter- international law was actually created, established in the first place. Um, yes, well, international law uh, governs uh, very largely the relations between countries, between states. It's a body of law that uh, is quite young relative to other types of law. It began to uh, operate probably in the 17th century uh, when it was originally a body of law that governed the relationship between uh, European powers and that also governed what they did outside of Europe as they were expanding their influence, settling in countries um, elsewhere in the world, in South America, North America, Asia, Africa. Um, of course, it's transformed itself over the centuries and uh, now is a place uh, it applies, of course, to the entire world. And uh, it is a battleground because it's a battleground between states that are hanging on to their power, to the to powers and wealth that have come from earlier centuries and states that are uh, fighting against some of the rules and trying to apply new rules at the same time in order to properly assert their role and to enhance the equality of states under under international law. But it's a, it's a complicated area, and it's one that is 
full of controversy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I want to talk a little bit uh, about that as well because you've uh, explored the the role that race and racial discrimination has actually played uh, within the United Nations as well. Um, can, can you just tell us a little bit more about that and, and your research in, in the way that you explored this as well? Historically, international law was quite a uh, it was a racist body of law, in that it largely facilitated the exploitation of the countries mm-hmm. inhabited by people of color by the countries of the North, essentially European colonial powers and, and countries that were derived from Europe, like the United States. But since about 100 years ago, it has become a place where those countries have, uh, as, they, as they gradually obtained independence and, and started to exercise their influence within international bodies like the United Nations, they um, uh, campaigned and often successfully for, for the use of international law to confront racial discrimination and to challenge it, to help to defeat the apartheid system in South Africa. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a campaign uh, and a facet of international law that continues to this day, as we saw a few years ago with all of the activity around surrounding the murder of George Floyd in the United States in 2020. So it's not... Yeah. This is not something of the, it's something that belongs to the past in a way, but it's also part of the present and it's going to be part of the future as well. Yeah, yeah. And just leading on from that as well, what are the sort of the the legalities about the use of force and uh, self-defense? The general rule uh, set out in the Charter of the United Nations is that the use of force by countries to settle disputes is prohibited subject to two exceptions. One is the use of force uh, in self-defense, what's called the inherent right of self-defense in the Charter of the United Nations. And the other is the use of force that's authorized by the Security Council. Now, I should say about the use of force, this is not a license to use arbitrary force in a brutal um, and unrestrained way. But uh, like self-defense, like the right of self-defense that you and I enjoy in the best if we're attacked by somebody in the underground or on the street, um, it has to be exercised proportionately and in a way that that achieves the goal, which is to protect any threat to life. But it's not a license then to go and and uh, and do more damage to the threat than is necessary in order to repulse it. And the same rule applies in international law. Right. Right. So, so basically, you know, when there's collateral damage being done, that is not part of the law, is it? So to, uh, that's exactly what I want to ask you as well. So to, to what extent does uh, the use of force, can that be granted when attacking targets such as, you know, you know when, when you know the damage is not going to be limited to those particular people, it's going to be collateral damage and innocent civilians, buildings, properties, even farms, mm-hmm. they're going to get destroyed as well. Well, the first rule, as I I explained, is that when you're acting in self-defense, the use of force has to be proportionate to the threat. But it's further limited, and all use of force is limited, uh, whether it's lawful or unlawful, the use of force is limited by the fact that it has to be um, sufficient to obtain the military objectives, bearing in mind and, and weighed against the proportionate damage to civilians, to non-combatants, and to civilian uh, property, to civilian objects, um, and and so even if the use even if the use of force is lawful, 
it's still limited by this general rule that we have to, first of all, bear in mind the need for it to be proportionate to achieve the purpose, but also proportionate weighed against the damage that it's going to do to non-combatant civilians. So, so you, you, it is right to say then that you know just uh, doing damage to a particular area and uh, doing more damage that is actually needed and is not proportionate to what was actually needed to actually uh, you know fight the cause in the first place. That is actually going against the international law. Then, absolutely, absolutely, this is obvious yeah. that it's that, that this is going against the principles of international law, even if mm. even if one accepts the idea that the use of force is lawful, that is, yeah, that it's yeah. being used in legitimate self-defense, it still has to be limited. It's not a license, as sometimes those who, who carry it out suggest, that they can do anything and that there are no limits on what they can do. The limits are very strict, and they have to be balanced against uh, the military objective, and sometimes... It's impossible to use force in a way that will be necessary militarily because of the extreme, the threat of extreme damage to civilians. I mean, it's, it's good that you mentioned that, and uh, I'm sure that the, the listeners would definitely benefit from that as well, and they will come to realize what we have just said, what we just discussed. And um, when talking about when talking about this, and you, we see that nations, other military groups, and uh, whatever, wherever they, wherever they're from, wherever their agenda is, and uh, we see these atrocities happening. But how are they even called uh, accountable? Then, even you know, like we're saying, like we're suggesting that, even if they are allowed to, and it's lawful that we can, you know, attack them back because of different reasons. But if they go beyond that reason, if they go beyond that scope, and innocent people and lives are being destroyed, then are they going to be held accountable? That's the, that's the next question. Well, this is an imperfect system, is all I can say, because the, the, if we go back to the origins of the system, we can really go back to the creation of the United Nations and the Charter of the United Nations. The purpose was to prevent the use of force in, such, in the ways we just described, for the future. It was adopted for the Second World War, and the idea was that something like this should never be allowed to happen again. But instead of creating bodies uh, with full powers within the United Nations to do this, uh, the, the United Nations, the powers of the United Nations, were limited by the fact that the five most powerful military countries uh, maintained a monopoly and a right of veto of any activity by the United Nations. And so yeah. this means that when acts of aggression, acts of uh, arbitrary use of force or disproportionate use of force are attributable to the member, to the, the permanent members of the Security Council of the United Nations or to their friends whom they protect, it is very difficult to take action within the United Nations, within the organs of the United Nations, and particularly the Security Council, which is there to do the job. But the Security Council is subject to the veto of the great powers, and they all use it, unfortunately. Um, the, the other part of this is that individuals can be held accountable um, for, for perpetrating international crimes in bodies like the International criminal court. And so the International Criminal Court is available, but it has um, a limited jurisdiction and it is itself uh, clearly subject to political pressures. 
And the, the consequence can be seen at the present day where the International Criminal Court is enthusiastically investigating crimes committed by uh, alleged crimes committed by Russia in Ukraine, uh, but is relatively inactive when it comes to alleged crimes committed by Israel in the occupied territories and particularly you know, both yeah. in the West Bank and in Gaza. And that's I mean, that's a fact of an unequal system. Yeah, I mean, quite rightly, what you just mentioned, as well, it, it is unfortunate that these nations have that veto power as well. I mean, it's it's almost as if, you know, they they they, they say that, you know, they praise that we have democracy and then they say that this is a very good thing that we have democracy. Um, but then, you know, they, they also have the power to, to veto uh, any bill that comes and, you know, they can do whatever they want. Just, you know, just, we, I want to talk about, about double standards and, and yeah, their double standards. standards. And, uh, of course, uh, that's a fact. It's a reality that there are these double standards. Yeah. It doesn't mean the standard is wrong. The standard is a good standard. It just needs to be applied more equally. Yeah, absolutely. Applied more equally. Absolutely. Um, Professor, just, uh, w- w- what can countries do then? to tackle this issue at hand and, and protect civilians living on uh, you know, both sides? Well, uh, there are um, opportunities for countries to exercise pressure in various forms uh, in order to uh, promote the, the, the legal rules and equality within the system. And that's what they have to do. Some of them are more limited because they're small countries or they're poor countries and they have... They don't have all that many opportunities, but they still have one vote in the United Nations General Assembly. They participate in regional organizations. They can participate in collective measures that are, are aimed at, at trying to compel other states to behave themselves and to respect the legal rule. And this is, these are, but, but even those states are subject to their own political pressures and don't always behave consistently themselves. And so this makes it uh, a constant challenge. Um, you know, we live in the United Kingdom, which is a master at, at double standards and is capable of, of uh, condemning Russia for alleged uh, for, for uh, killings in Ukraine, but incapable of, of imposing the same condemnation on Israel for killings in Gaza. And uh, yeah. even if the situation in in Gaza is objectively more dire and more threatening to innocent civilians than the situation in Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, it's, it's very, you know, it's an eye-opener uh, when you say it like that as well. And hopefully, you know, there is justice in the system in the future. I mean, the, this, like you mentioned, that the standard is good. It's just that it needs to be applied uh, in a just way, uh, in, an, in an equal way. So just before you go, Professor, I'm not sure if you if you would know as well, as we are the you know the voice of Islam, the 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 founder of Islam, the the Holy Prophet Muhammad peace peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. When when he was fighting the defensive wars, at his time he he clearly said that you know those people who are not even part of the war, those women, children, elderly, places of worship, uh, you know churches, synagogues, even farmlands, trees. Buildings they, they shouldn't be they shouldn't be cut down they shouldn't be attacked whatsoever. So I just wanted to say that. Um, yes. Uh, well, I'm aware of that, and uh, many of these rules, of course, have ancient origins and have origins in uh, the the um, the justice and dignity of 
uh, different religions, including Islam. And so I'm I'm aware of that. People have written about it and pointed it out. And these are these lessons that go back many hundreds of years are as as important today as they were when they were first uh, enunciated. Absolutely, very very beautiful. Professor, it's been an absolute uh, pleasure speaking to you, and uh, thank you so much. I'm sure that the listeners will definitely uh, benefit from uh, from our talk. Thank you once again. No, thank you for having me. Bye bye. Yeah, so that was an interview that we that we conducted uh, uh, just uh, before as well before the show, and uh, uh, it was quite interesting as well speaking to Professor William Shabazz uh, there as well. That uh, you know there is. A double standard in uh, in place, hmm. and these people, these uh, these nations, they have um, they have access to to or they have the you know so called right to to veto any bill that gets passed, and if they do anything wrong, there's you know there's there's zero or next to zero uh, percent of accountability, hmm. and that is where the problem is. And like 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 he mentioned, like the professor mentioned that the United Nations. The, the rules uh, that it actually, uh, or the foundation rules that it actually up, upholds is actually good. But, you know, the people, you know, who, who or the nations which are in it, some of them uh, do not comply with those rules as well. And that is when the problems arise, mm. uh, when there's no justice and when there's no one to call out when there's, in, when there's injustice happening as well. Um, you know, in a, in a, in a strong positive way, that you know, if you do something wrong, that uh, you know, there's going to be there's going to be consequences. But yeah. that's not the case. Mm. And until we see that there is just that you know that there is justice, or you know, if we uh, unless we see that there is justice over there in the system, that is only when uh, such uh, such atrocities will actually cease to cease to occur in the future. Hmm. So His Holiness, uh, the current Caliph of the Ahmadi Muslim community, Hazrat Mr. Masood Ahmad, may Allah be his help, has said, For as long as world leaders do not courageously strive for a ceasefire, they are invariably responsible for taking the world towards destruction. Mm. Uh, in another place, um, speaking about um, Israel's policy for cutting off food, water and energy to Gaza, uh, His Holiness uh, said, Indeed, some do draw people's attention towards this, such as the former US President Obama who in recent days stated even if one is to wage war, one should fight in accordance with the rules of warfare. And civilians should not be harmed. Mm. And uh, he further stated that even war has rules and called for the protection of civilians and humanitarian relief to Gaza. And, uh, you know, we see that the teachings of Islam completely coincide with what His Holiness is, you know, uh, Mm. telling the world to follow. Exactly, exactly. In fact, you know, in regards to those Palestinians, those uh, people who are literally not even part of the, uh, those innocent civilians who are not even part of the war, Yeah, they're being attacked, they're being bombarded. Hmm. Even if they go to the hospital, they're being bombarded and attacked over there. So there's literally no shelter. There's no safe place for them as well. His yeah. Holiness actually told the community members that, you know, what we should do is we should we should definitely pray to God Almighty, hmm. to to stop uh, the to stop the oppressor and obviously help those people who are oppressed as well. In fact, yeah. if one was to was to even a, a minimum or <clears throat> even one prostration before God Almighty during the prayer, um, if we if we can dedicate even one prostration hmm. uh, for them and pray for them, 
even that will make a positive difference as well. Allah the Almighty will listen to our prayers. And obviously, as Allah the Almighty mentions in the Holy Quran, after times of difficulty, there is ease uh, and there is, uh, you know, uh, uh, tranquility after a distressful time as well. And But one thing to actually also remember is that us as uh, us as believers, us as, um, you know, we, we believe in Allah the Almighty, we mm. believe in the Holy Quran, we believe yeah. in His messengers, we believe in the last day as well. Mm. And because we believe in the last day, we also believe that, you know, the, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said that, all the, all the, you know, even if you have a cold, even if you have a fever, yeah, that is basically you're basically giving you're you're, you're given a a portion of the hellfire in this life. Mm. So what that basically means is that your sins are being forgiven through mm. these things. Mm. So if you go through troubles, if you go through troublesome times, if you go through difficulties, then we as Muslims we believe that you know your sins are being forgiven for you. Mm. And because this is not the this is not the only life, this is a temporary life, and the 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 life after death that is the main life, that is mm. the actual life, and that yeah. is what we look towards as well. This is why we believe in the hereafter. So, if that is the if that is the eternal life, we want to do whatever we can so that we can secure a good place in that life. Mm. And with all of these things, yes, it is a difficult time. Yes, we do face difficulties, especially you know innocent civilians who are caught in. Uh, in the middle of a war hmm. of course that they are they are going through a difficult time but you know as Allah the Almighty mentions and of course the Holy Prophet uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him he has mentioned as well that after this difficult time there will be ease as well hmm. the, the, you know sometimes there might not be ease in this world yeah. but they can rest assured that in the hereafter there will be ease uh, as well so Allah, may Allah the Almighty help those people and uh, you know uh, stop this war stop mm. this, these atrocities from happening uh, in the future as well yeah definitely and you know we see that in today's day and age um, what is happening in the world what is happening in Israel and Palestine it, yeah. the teachings of Islam are that um, even during like you know warfare you're not allowed to kill children Literally, women yeah. And the elderly, the elderly and yeah. uh, you're not allowed to destroy places of worship or you know cut down trees uh, innocent people who aren't even part of the people war. who aren't yeah. even part of the war innocent uh, bystanders civilians you're not allowed to kill them yeah, and this is what is happening in the world today and if the world were to you know truly look at the teachings of uh, people say that Islam is a barbaric old religion mm. and you know there were uh, there were many wars in the past uh, for for Islam mm. where but Islam there there were is, uh, many wars fought but with these uh, teachings of warfare were in strict place. rules strict, strict rules. rules yeah literally right? uh, and this is what we need to adhere to in today's day and age as well yeah absolutely and um what is what's what's happening in the world you know there's so many atrocities happening across the world uh may Allah the almighty guide everyone on the right path i mean i mean um, with that, we you know we want to uh, draw conc- obviously there's so much more that we can talk about as well yeah. but we want to draw a conclusion to this part of the show um, and uh, take a short break right after when we come back we're going to be going into our our next topic as well which is about uh, you know the the which is about the winter the winter season and um, how to combat winter how, sadness basically. of course uh, so we'll talk a little bit more about that after after a short break writings of the promised Messiah salam. remember that no one will descend from heaven all our opponents who are alive today will die 
and no one will see Jesus, son of Mary, descending from heaven. Then their next generation will pass away, and no one of them will see this spectacle. Then the generation next after that will pass away without seeing the Son of Mary descending from heaven. Then God will make them anxious that though the time of the supremacy of the cross had passed away, and the world had undergone great changes, yet the Son of Mary had not descended from heaven. Then wise people will suddenly discard this belief. The third century after today will not yet have come to a close when those who hold this belief, whether Muslims or Christians, will lose all hope and will give up this belief in disgust. There will then be only one religion that will prevail in the world and only one leader. I have come only to sow the seed which has been sown by my hand. Now it will sprout and grow and flourish and no one can arrest its growth. Writings of the Promised Messiah, alayhi salam. We have been created for a great purpose, which is the true understanding of God. On that understanding depends our salvation. It delivers us from every impure and doubtful way and leads us to the edge of a pure and clear river. It can be acquired only through divine revelation. When being delivered entirely from our ego, we dive deep with an eager heart into an unattainable being. Our humanness, having appeared in the court of Godhead, returns with some signs and lights from that world. Thus, that which the worldly ones look upon with contempt is the only thing which brings a long separated one in an instant to his beloved and bestows comfort upon the lovers of the Divine. It relieves a person suddenly of all types of egoistic limitations until that true light descends upon the heart. It is not possible that the heart should be illumined. The imperfection of human reason and the limitations of current knowledge bear witness to the need of revelation. Hazrat Abu Huraira. May Allah be pleased with him, narrates that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, No fatigue, disease, sorrow, sadness, hurt, nor distress befalls a Muslim, even if it were the prick he receives from a thorn, but that Allah expiates some of his sins for that. Over the past few days, hundreds of Israelis and Palestinians, including women, children and the elderly, have been killed or injured as a result of senseless violence and bloodshed. The killing or harming of innocent civilians is a direct violation of the teachings of the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings be upon him, who taught that even in a state of warfare, no woman, child or elder should be targeted or harmed in any way, nor should any religious leader or place of worship be attacked. We pray and urge for an immediate end to hostilities and for peace to prevail so that no more lives are lost. For that, it is necessary that the channels of communication between relevant parties and nations remain open. Until a ceasefire occurs, any military action taken must ensure that civilians do not come to any harm. Furthermore, Muslim countries within the region should unite in an effort to establish peace and to ensure that the rights of those innocent Palestinian people who have no link with extremists are protected. We urge the United States and other influential nations to abstain from any actions or statements that may further inflame the volatile situation. Instead, alongside the relevant international organizations, 
they should make every possible effort to urgently de-escalate the conflict and secure peace as soon as possible. Justice and equity are of paramount importance in achieving lasting and sustainable peace. Thus, all the major powers must focus on establishing long-term and sustainable peace based upon the principles of fairness and true justice. Of Islam Radio. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. In the name of Allah, the Most Gracious, ever merciful, peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the Breakfast Show. <clears throat> So we're moving on to our second segment of the morning, Ways to con- Combat Winter Sadness. Mm. Around 2 million people across the UK have SAD, S-A-D, also known as winter depression or seasonal affective disorder. Mm. Due to it being amplified in the winter, it can have a big impact with the main symptoms being similar to those of depression. These can include low mood, low energy and eating more, particularly chocolate or high carbonate foods. Uh, SAD is three times more common in women than it is in men Can be so bad for some individuals to the extent that they have to take antidepressants People have reported that they begin to panic when the winter months roll around People have discovered that cold uh, water dipping has helped ease the anxiety You know, people take ice baths or, you know, Mm. really cold cold showers Uh, And initially you get like a shock in your body but then it's like really, you feel really calm, refreshed, refreshed it's really soothing as well, yeah. as well. But you don't want to catch a cold when of it's, course, it's of course. cold outside also, yeah. isn't it? There are certain steps that individuals can take if they think that the change in seasons is affecting them in a negative way, such as physical activity, productivity, along with eating healthily. Yeah. Now, D- Derek uh, Brockway on the BBC uh, Wales Weatherman states that he, th- 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 that he like many others, feels low as a result of cold weather and it causes mm. him to have low energy as well and I think many people would uh, would sympathize with that I think I myself yeah. personally I will sympathize with that as well when it's when you look outside when you wake up in the morning you look outside and it's and it's you know dark and groggy and it's uh, it's, it's mm. not that nice mm. and it's, it's you know it's cold you don't really want to get out of bed mm. uh, but obviously the opposite of that when it's nice and summery and it's hot outside and the sun is shining um, you know, it's it completely changes it completely changes your mood. Hmm. Um, Elaine Bowen has uh, struggled with sad for thirty years, 
uh, and has had to take medication, just like you mentioned as well. Some people even have to take antidepressants also to take medication to ease her symptoms and states that as the as the, as the winter months approaches, hmm. she starts to panic, cry, uh, uh, cry overeat, feels uh, unsociable uh, and prefers to remain in bed, obviously, because of the, you know, because of the weather, because of the seasons uh, as well. Um We'll talk a little bit more about this and get a more professional approach as well with our with our with, with our guest, Dr. David Krepaskay, who is the head of research at the Mental Health Foundation. He's an experienced advisor on mental health and was seconded to Public Health England as senior mental health advisor on the Every Mind Matters Public Mental mm-hmm. Health campaign. He's also worked with the World Health Organization at uh, many national and also local organisations to support their mental health and their work as well. Please be you. good morning and welcome to the show, Doctor. Doctor, can you can you hear us? I can hear you fine. Yes. Can you hear me okay? Thank you. Yes, we can hear you. We can hear you loud and clear. Thank you so much for, for joining us this morning. Uh, just, to, just to begin with, very quickly, uh, if you can just tell our listeners you, your role, uh, what you sort of uh, do at Mental Health Foundation. The Mental Health Foundation is a mental health charity. We've been around for nearly 75 years. Uh, my role at the Mental Health Foundation is uh, I, I lead the research team in London and I try and do the best I can to understand what the evidence is for positive mental health, how, to be, how people can look after their mental health and uh, support each other and also uh, do everything we can to reduce the risk of poor mental health. Mm-hmm. Now, talking about we we gave a little bit of an introduction as well, but of course you can you can tell us uh, better. What is seasonal affective disorder or SAD, as it is called, and what are the sort of the most common symptoms? I think your introduction was extremely good. I think you gave a very good, clear summary. It's it's a form of depression. Hmm. Uh, it is particularly associated with the changes of the season. Um, most commonly, uh, most commonly with with winter, uh, there are some people who get uh, seasonally affective disorder in the summer, right. uh, but gotcha. that is that is very that is relatively rare. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we talk about seasonally affective disorder, I think the vast majority of people would be thinking about um, their mood getting considerably worse as the days shorten, uh, as light levels drop, as we spend more time indoors. Uh, we see less sunshine and, and so on. So it, 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 is a, it is a form of depression, which is why, as, as you said a little earlier, sometimes it has to be treated uh, as any form of depression hmm. is. So that can mean uh, talking treatments. That can, in some circumstances, mean antidepressants. antidepressants. Hmm. But there are also plenty of things that people can do to look after themselves. Uh, and reduce the risk of, of you tipping over into that space where you mm-hmm. need a serious medical intervention. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I want to just get to that as well. I mean, the, people do take antidepressants as well, and there are sh- short-term uh, treatments which are available. But is there any other or are there any long-term treatments um, that can you know that we can actually tap into? There, I mean, you can. There are a range of things that you can do. You can make changes. Uh, to your to your lifestyle and approach that may reduce the risk. Mm. Um, really, it's about being aware of how it might affect you, 
uh, and taking steps to prevent the, the, the most significant mm-hmm. impact. I mean, uh, we certainly, what we certainly wouldn't want to see is people spending any longer on antidepressants than they need of to. Of course, of course. Uh, but, but there are things, you know, when you, you're being aware that you may be affected by the changing of, of seasons is really important. So if you know that you are affected by it or if uh, you know that, that members of your family or friends are affected by that, then, then be aware of that in advance and make a plan uh, for winter. Yeah. And, and the, you know, so, I, I mean, apart from moving closer to the equator where the days and nights stay the same length all <laughs> through the all through yeah. the year, or, you know, in my dream world, I would follow cricket teams around the world because the sun is always shining where there's cricket. <laughs> uh, but, but I don't think that's very practical, and I'd have great difficulty doing yeah. my job. So, you know, it, it is, it's a natural human thing. The further you get away from the equator and the more, uh, more uh, you know, day and night becomes different uh, through the seasons, the more likely it is to affect some people. And, and I'm, I'm afraid there isn't a great deal you can do to prevent that in, in the general scheme of things. But mm. if you are affected by it, there are plans that you can put in place to, to, to minimize that effect. Mm. And, and I, I think that's probably as good as it gets. Yeah, I mean, with that as well, just like you mentioned, people living further away from the equator. I mean, I do sympathize with the people who are living in uh, in northern or Scandinavian countries as well, northern, yeah. northern Norway, where there's literally daylight hours for, for six months and then night for six months as well. Yeah. Um, but obviously, I mean, obviously, like you mentioned, there is there is treatment available. I want to ask you, doctor, is there sort of a, a demographic that that is sort of more prone uh, to to get to get sad, maybe men or women. Or, we, women are definitely women. more likely to be affected by seasonally affective disorder, mm. um, but we also know they're more likely to be affected by depression. So right. I, I don't know whether that uh, we we genuinely don't know whether that is more to do with the seasonal change or to do with the the impact of depression. But we mm. we definitely know that's that's the case. Uh, there have been some studies around um, ethnicity and seasonally affective disorder, but they're mm-hmm. quite inconclusive. And I think it, I would I would love there to be more research in those kind of areas because we know. Uh, I mean, there, there was a Norwegian study and uh, that looked at different ethnicities, <laughs> and obviously this is in Norway, not in the UK. But they yeah. interestingly they found Sri Lankan people were less likely to be affected by it, and Iranian people were more likely to be affected oh. by it. So, so <laughs> it, it, it's you know, uh, and we don't know whether that's because you know because the cultural nature of the research or, or or other factors that are going on. But there doesn't seem to be a a clear link between, if you like, your your, your genetic. A body clock, hmm. uh, if that is affected by your, your your ethnicity and seasonal affective disorder, it genuinely isn't something that we we have good answers for. There does appear to be some variation in in how it affects people from different ethnic backgrounds, but we 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 don't really know we don't really know what it is and we don't really know why. So uh, that is something that that may benefit from additional research. With with your uh, research and with all the help that you that you provide as well, what what support um, does the mental health foundation actually provide for people who you know who 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 do get sad? We uh, 
we're not an organization that directly provides mental health services, but what we try and do is, is give people um, the information that they need to, to, to be aware of how this might affect their mental health. So, 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 so talking to people like you who, who reach a lot of people who may be affected by it, making sure that people understand what the evidence does say. So we know the evidence says that if you try and get out outside more, even though it's darker, even though it's wetter, hmm. um, the more spent time you spend outdoors and the more daylight you get, even during these winter months, yeah. the, the better it is for your mental health. You've already talked about uh, being careful about what, what you eat. Hmm. Um, definitely exercise is very good. Yeah. Uh, some people will definitely find uh, light boxes uh, useful. Um, the, again, we don't understand exactly why, hmm. uh, but that definitely does seem to um, help stabilize mood for a lot of people. Uh, but really, you, it's best understood like any form of depression. Um, social contact is important. Talking about it is important. Uh, and, and keeping as healthy a lifestyle as you possibly can uh, will, also, will also help. Oh, that's, uh, that's some sound advice uh, there, uh, Doctor, and thank you so much for, for joining, joining us and uh, speaking to us, telling us a little bit more about this as well, and obviously all the help that there is available, uh, letting our listeners know about that as well. Dr. David, thank you so much for joining us once again. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for having thank me. You. Thank you. Bye-bye. So some good, uh, you know, so, uh, some, some some sound some advice sound right advice. there from from the doctor. Absolutely. That you know what what we can do and um, what are some of the you know practical things. What are some of the main reasons? And um, you know, he did mention that you know it's more common in women than men. Mm. Uh, and as um, you know, we can we know from the women anatomy, you know, they are they go through hormonal changes as well, especially you know during pregnancy and stuff and. So I guess that that is that might be one of the reasons as well um, why it, it would occur more. Yeah, it's it's, it's an interesting take. Uh, we do have uh, online with us our next guest, Professor Hayden uh, Lorimer from who is a professor of geography in the University of Edinburgh. He's co-leading the Living with SAD research project project with colleagues based at University of Glasgow. Good morning, peace be upon you, and welcome to the Breakfast Show, Professor. Good morning. Uh, Professor, just to begin with, uh, could you please give us some background on the, your project, uh, Living with um, SAD? Yeah, so our project is one that's been going for the last couple of years, and we're really interested in finding out more about people's lived experiences of seasonal affective disorder. And our project team brings together uh, different subject areas and experts. So we have geographers like myself. Um, we also have a psychosocial psychiatrist. And perhaps more differently and innovatively, we also have a collaborating artist poet who's been part of our group too. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's interesting. Um, so, Professor, would you uh, say there are you know some definitive causes of SAD? Uh, that's a great question. Um, and and SAD has been a really difficult thing for medical practitioners to uh, diagnose because sometimes it overlaps with the existing history of low mood or depression, um, but it's definitely the case that people experiencing symptoms of SAD, and that might be things like lowering of mood, um, reduced energy levels, feeling less sociable, and, and generally finding everyday life quite difficult, hmm. um, that happens in areas where 
climatically speaking, there are extended periods of, of winter gloom. So where we might have low light, um, high precipitation, generally overcast conditions that produce um, that kind of seasonal effect, which is lowered light. And that definitely has an impact on the way that people feel. Um, exactly how climate and conditions are connected to an individual's personal history, of course, that's that's harder to pin down. Yeah. Has, has there ever been any um, research based on faith or, or like religion? Not that I'm aware of, no. And, and faith would be an interesting dimension, certainly, in, in the way that people consider um, their own kind of worldview and their own perspective and perhaps their relationship with with skies and heavens above but but that's yeah. me entering into speculation there yeah yeah uh, what advice would you give to to a person dealing with sad so um we have been working with uh, a small group of, of people who self-experience self-diagnose um, as experiencing sad and we did that over the course of winter 2022-23 and we organized a series of workshops where creative activities laid what we were doing and the creative activities gave people just a little motivation and inspiration, often to spend a bit more time daily outside so that they were exposing themselves to natural light. Hmm. Now, that's an easy thing to say, but it's often a difficult thing to achieve if you if you experience that, because, of yeah. course, there is little motivation to get outside. So some of the creative activities that we suggested to people and that they enjoyed doing were, for example, using what we called a sky frame. Now, that was really just a picture mount that we gave everyone uh, 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 to take outside with them. Hmm. And we encouraged them to build up a relationship with a patch of winter sky that they would call their own. Yeah, They could revisit. And in the course of that exercise, what people are really doing is just actually tilting their head up from the pavement and the puddles hmm. to actually begin to consider the skies above and see the fact that the light changes, hmm. the conditions passing overhead are different. And just a little exercise like that was quite liberating and enlightening for people. Hmm. Well, that's that's really, you know, that's something that we've never really thought about either. Like, you know, we, in, in the winter especially, there are more stars in the night sky as well. So looking at constellations, that, that's really interesting. That's also a thing you can do. I mean, we, we were quite playful in our activities. We also had an activity that people really got into, which was, what if you were to write a letter addressed to winter, the season itself, hmm. to get some of your feelings off your chest? Yeah. And so writing a Dear Winter letter actually, once again, was a great pressure release for our participants hmm. because it allowed them to get their feelings down on paper. And you know what it's like. You get your feelings out there. Yeah. And just as soon as you've done that, there can actually be a kind of positive um, benefit in terms of an individual's health and well-being. So that little letter writing exercise, hmm. though, though it requires people to kind of um, enter into the kind of speculative idea of writing to the season, that too was really beneficial. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just before we let you go, what, what is, where is your, um, the project headed? What is the future of the, of the project? Well, the future of the project now is for us sharing um, some of the resources that we've produced and hoping that people pick them up and give them a go. So Wintering Well, our uh, Light is a Right, a Guide to Wintering Well is our um, online book. If people Google that, they'll be able to find it online and hopefully it contains some really res um, helpful materials to take yeah. them through this coming winter. 
Yeah. Thank you so much, Professor, for joining us this morning and shedding light upon this topic. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. For now, take care, have a good morning and peace be upon you. Likewise. Thank you. So that was uh, Professor Hayden from the University of, of um, Edinburgh in Glasgow. Yeah. Um, you know, some, some of the stuff that he mentioned that they're doing, like, for example, writing a Dear Winter Letter. Hmm. To get all your feelings out, you know, get it's all your, it's because yeah. it's important to actually talk about your problems yeah, as well, isn't most it? Most definitely, you know, in, in uh, especially in our South Asian uh, background, in our society, in our culture, yeah, uh, depression and anxiety, you know, these things aren't really talked about. Yeah, uh, it's it's like it's not it's 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 a taboo. Uh, it's a taboo topic. Yeah. Taboo topic, it right? Is. Uh, but you know, I was I was reading something online on on an online forum, where a person said. Um, you know, when there's so much joy, so much happiness in the world, why do people get depressed or why do they have anxiety? And then someone replied to this with a comment saying that, you know, there's so much fresh air in the world, right? Mm. Why do people get asthma? Mm. Yeah. It's a breathing problem, essentially, right? Yeah, it's a breathing problem. Yeah. So, it was a really good comeback. It's an eye-opener. <laughs> it's I an eye-opener, indeed. The thing is, is that everyone has, everyone has feelings, right? Mm. Obviously, that's what makes us human beings, isn't it? Of We're course. not robots. Robots don't have feelings. We, we do. And because we do, uh, there's different ways for us to deal with our mm. problems, with, you know, with our emotions as well. Mm. If we're happy, then you know, there's different things that we can do. If we're feeling sad, if we're feeling angry, if we're feeling anxious or depressed, then there are different ways to actually you know combat that or actually get through that that process as well yeah but it's just about how how we go through that obviously when everyone is happy hmm. um then you know then time flies obviously hmm. because you're you're having fun but obviously when you're when you're when you're under the weather or when you're feeling a bit down when you're feeling depressed hmm. maybe um there's different things that we can do as well one of the things which you know, which uh, which professor, which our previous guest talk, talked about as well, is that uh, both our guests talked about that we can talk about our problems, mm. we can let them out, and uh, you know, having someone to talk to can be very can be very powerful uh, as well. But obviously, the the best being that we can talk to is God Almighty, yeah. of course. You know, praying to Him. Any problems that we that we face, we can ask God Almighty to to. Relieve, uh, release us from these uh, from these problems from mm. these um, from any sort of illnesses or sufferings that we actually face but also mm. getting the right medication is also important um, whatever that may that may be antidepressants that may be um, other forms of medication that might mm. be psychiatry or other sort of forms of uh, you know release releasing our um, uh, distress and talking to someone yeah. the different methods that we can actually utilize as well yeah. and uh, you know time and time and uh, again we come back to this verse of the Holy Quran that surely in Allah's remembrance do the hearts find peace uh, we've spoken about this you know um, this topic you know in the past as well and uh, we mm. always come back to this verse this verse is uh, very related to almost all, almost everything not just uh, anxiety and depression but you know you can relate it to almost everything that is going on in the world today, especially. Yes, absolutely. We do have uh, a brief audio clip of His Holiness um, uh, Hazrat Mizam Masood Ahmed, the current Caliph of the MDU Muslim community. May Allah be his helper. So let's listen to that one. My question is: Depression and anxiety are becoming very common these days. Hazrat, can you please provide guidance regarding this matter, and what is your view about mental health? 
it is because uh, we have we are involved too much in uh, materialistic things the the preference order of our desires and our wishes has changed and the, instead of seeking allah's love and allah's closeness we are running after worldly things hmm? this is the main cause of it and uh, when your desires are not fulfilled you cannot uh, get whatever you want then you become frustrated and then that frustration leads to anxiety so this is what allah taala has said in the holy quran allah bi zikrillah tatmain alqulub that remembrance of allah is the best way for the satisfaction of your heart right so if you remember allah whenever you have any problem you bow before allah you offer your five daily prayers fervently sincerely then allah will give comfort and satisfy your heart right and resultantly you will feel comfortable and better and uh, most of the patients nowadays who are having uh, this anxiety problem are because they are too much inclined towards worldly things so if you try to get closer to allah taala then at least 80% of your anxiety will finish okay so you are lucky that allah taala has given you the chance to be the member of that community who who is following the the reformer of the age the promised messiah whose advent was foretold so he has asked us that instead of running after worldly things you try to get closer to your creator and that is that will give you satisfaction and comfort okay jazakallah okay assalam alaikum so what his holiness has uh, you know beautifully said is the fundamental difference between us uh, being muslims mm. and non-muslims or non-believers around the world uh, especially us being ahmadi muslims we have uh, the caliphate we have guidance from the the caliph as well as you know the founder of the ahmadi muslim community where if 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 in need if we need anything if we need any guidance any instructions we can turn to our caliph and he will guide us mm. uh, through the teachings of islam and Absolutely. as as he he mentioned as well as we mentioned the verse as well uh, and he um, his holiness has mentioned the verse as well that surely in the remembrance of allah do the hearts find peace so in times of need in times of um, anxiety in times of depression turn to allah the almighty and there you shall find your answer and uh, there, from there you can seek guidance absolutely absolutely so that's uh, our show for for today and uh, it's been a jam packed show with uh, with you know uh, some interesting topics that we that we spoke about as well and of course uh, we'll be back next time with some other interesting topics as we usually do thank you to all the guests who took time out and uh, spoke to us uh, this uh, for for this show this morning 
thank you to the producers, the researchers, uh, Hola Hashmi, Hania Yaku, Mehrish Dogger, Maria Sheikh, Razia Chaudhry, Jaziba Khan, Tamsila Khuram. And of course, always a pleasure to present with uh, you, uh, Atal, as well. Uh, and, and of course, the technical department, Asad. Thank you. Thank you to him. Until next time, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all.